Well, everyone, it's time for another episode in our series on curiosity and a conversation I have been dying to have for over a year. Today, we're going to talk about our cycles. Yep, I know. I know. If there's like a handful of dudes who listen to this podcast, this is the part where maybe you feel squeamish and you want to shut it off. Or maybe this is the part that you learn a ton about women and how we function and why you should be extra kind to us during certain parts of the month. No, seriously, I have been navigating a hormone imbalance for the past couple of years, and it has led me to change the way I eat, change the way I function. And in that change, in that study and better understanding of my body and how it works, I've learned so much about how we actually should be flowing pun intended, with the way our body is meant to function. So today, I am pumped to sit down in conversation with someone who specializes in women's reproductive health and approaches it holistically and that I found through a Google search. Literally, I was trying to understand how I could change my nutrition to better help my hormones, and I discovered Kristen. I've been following her on social ever since and reading what she puts out and listening to her podcast, and I had a fascinating conversation. Honestly, ladies, if you feel like you already know everything there is to know because you've been getting your period since you were 12, trust me. There's a lot of information out there that we weren't given that can really help you to navigate the way you're feeling. So this is my conversation all about our cycles and how they work, and I'm asking a ton of questions, and I hope that you dig the conversation as much as I do. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Kristen, for people who might not be familiar with your work, will you explain to the audience what you do and how you got into this field? Yeah, so I am a functional nutritionist. I'm a menstrual health educator. I'm the host of the Lunar Body podcast where I talk all about this stuff. (laughs) Um, And so how I got into it years ago, I was working in marketing, which was, you know, very poor work-life balance. It was social media marketing and I was doing it for restaurants, which I loved. It was fun. It was a lot of fun, but there was really no balance there because I had to be available the nine to five work hours, but then restaurants, of course, don't have nine to five hours. So I was also available at night. I always had my phone out. I was always so stressed Uh, and that really impacted my life. You know, I had poor mental health and I just wasn't feeling good in my body. So around that same time, there were some 
classes happening in Boston. There were, it was like the wellness boom in Boston (laughs) and there were a lot of free classes happening. And so I started going to this class where the instructor would teach, she would do a workout. And then afterward, afterwards we would eat together and she, the food that she shared with us, she would talk about all of the ingredients and you know, what they do for us in the body. And I found that so fascinating And this was just something I wanted to learn for myself to help myself feel better. So I started, I committed to, you know, working out more and eating in a way that felt finally good to me rather than just kind of being on autopilot. And that really changed things for me. I finally saw the connection between food and my mood, which is something that we, it might sound obvious after the fact, but before then I had no idea. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it is I started noticing the effects in myself and I got really passionate about it. And, um, so I just, I decided to take a certification program and then that helped me transition out of that job and do this on my own because the, the experience that I had where it it was just such a dramatic change for me, I, I wanted to tell everybody. And I was like, Probably at first I was like that annoying person that's like, well, you have to try this and you have to try this because it's doing wonders for me. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, if people want to hear that, like we can talk about it professionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Not something everyone always wants to hear, but you get excited in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm curious too, what those initial steps were for you. So I know, you know, this idea that maybe it is more obvious to some of us, but if someone's never heard that idea, if they've never really considered that the food that they put into their system is affecting their mood, will you unpack that for us? Yeah. So what I was eating, (laughs) I mean, growing up, I was like, definitely the sweet tooth. I remember And when I was young, I would like pour myself a bowl of Rice Krispies and then pour myself pretty much another bowl of sugar inside that. (laughs) Yes. You know, like I, that was just how I ate, you know, I ate a lot of processed foods and not to say that they don't have a place, but I wasn't really balancing that. So uh, I just wasn't paying attention to what I was eating before that marketing job. I worked in journalism and my, my diet was basically like hot fries from the vending machine and Red Bull. (laughs) And surprise, I was depressed then too. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all this, this connection between like work and my diet and stress, all of that, once that started to sort of dissolve and I was noticing an, like an actual difference between the food that I was eating, like I had been learning, oh, this food does this for you. And this food, like fiber, it helps your energy and your mood stay stable. So eat more fiber. Oh, vegetables have fiber, cheese, it's don't. So So just little things like that, little changes over time really made an impact. And that it was just, it was so dramatic that it was nothing that I had ever really put together before. But again, it just, it seems so obvious now, but before I didn't realize how bad it was making me feel until I realized how to eat to make myself feel better, you know? Like, so what I, for instance, what I do with clients is we have in the very beginning, we have sort of an awareness period. We're just focused on how is this food making you feel? Don't judge the food that you're eating. Don't like, don't try to eat in a certain way. Like, obviously if you want to eat to feel good, do that, but don't adjust your eating based on how you think I want you to eat. So it's more just starting an awareness around how these foods connect to your mood and like an emotional mood and also physical too. Uh, and then from there, 
it's then you can modify. So there's, you have to identify it first, develop that awareness, and then you can modify and make changes after you have that information. And that's kind of how my intuitive approach works to it, because you have to have an awareness. Intuition works with information and it's yeah. not just like pulling things out of the ethers. It's, it's, I call it your library of experiences in your brain. So all of these things that you've learned over time, you can't consciously think about all that and retain it, all of that. Like you can't, you're not going through a day remembering like, oh, I have to remember this and this is maybe you are. And that's, <laughs> that can make you a little crazy, but it's just, that's where your intuition pulls from. And so that's, and if someone's listening and they are not sure, you know, we talk about this idea of intuitive eating, which I really think think is a process and a practice and something that you, I, I don't know that you sort of snap your fingers and just sort of can intuitively like choose your, your food. But if someone is hearing that and they're like, I really feel like I struggle with intuition. How do you guide people to kind of grow that part of themselves? Yeah. So if you haven't heard of intuitive eating, it's a framework um, to approach food in a, in a way that focuses on how you feel versus how you look. Because that, I mean, that is the whole thing about it is projecting right. that diet mentality. And so what I find is kind of missing from that framework, it is geared towards people with eating disorders or disordered tendencies, which the National Eating Disorder Association does consider dieting a disordered tendency. Mm -hmm. So this really could apply to anyone. But what I find missing from this is, you know, developing your intuition outside of food first. I think that's really important. And so the way I try to go about it is seeing other ways that you can, I mean, definitely you can try it with food, but also can we do it in other ways? For instance, with meditation, that's a really easy, accessible, I shouldn't say easy because it is hard to just sit and focus, but that's right. the practice, right? <laughs> right. But it's free and it's available to everyone. So meditation is one that you can use. Um, because that helps you calm your mind and, you know, let that inner voice come through. You can do for me, I like to do, uh, I like to work with my tarot cards. So that's another way. If, if, if your intuition speaks to you more visually, that can be a way that you can connect with it. Because if there's, if there's certain symbols in the tarot, or if you're looking at a spread and you're sort of seeing a message and how the spread goes, like you kind of see like a visual message. Um, or a story is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. So tarot can be a way that your intuition speaks to you. Um, you said tarot and I'll add to that mix as well. So I have a couple different sets of affirmation cards here that I would probably use in a similar way to you is that I sort of feel like I'm being guided to pull a card for myself, or maybe I'm being guided to pull a card for a friend. And I sit and meditate on that before I pull one and then there's always a message on that that really resonates with me. And I think even just the, um, a lot of the things that you're talking about, or when I think of intuition, it really does involve uh, a slower pace. So it involves a presence inside of your day that I think if people are listening to this and they're like, man, I don't even know where to start. Just the simple act of slowing down and being present in where you are is going to quiet things down enough to start to listen to that voice inside yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Presence is totally key because you can't, you can't listen to it. If your mind is a hundred different places, you know, it's, there's so many voices in your head crowding out the one that you're trying to listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is really important. And 
one way, uh, or there's a couple of different ways outside of food that you could do this as well that don't involve if you're not into tarot or anything like that. You can sit outside on a park bench or something if you feel that you're in a safe place and just choose one sense to focus on. So maybe you close your eyes and you focus on your hearing and you pick out the little sounds that you hear all over the place. Maybe you hear um, children laughing. Maybe you hear a juicy conversation. <laughs> um, I live right near a pond. Maybe you hear the water lapping, things like that. If you're zeroing in on those senses, then when you open your eyes, see if you can focus on the same thing. And it kind of trains you to be, to have a heightened awareness to certain senses and intuition is like your sixth sense. So it's a similar thing. So it, it sort of trains us to be on the lookout for those little things that we're not really usually paying attention to. And you can do this at mealtime too. So this is something that, you know, can be done with food as well, focusing on each of your physical senses. So if you have a meal in front of you, you can focus on the presentation, for instance. You're not going to do this with every single meal, but it's just like one practice that you can try. You can focus on the presentation, use your eyes. Do you like it? Think about whether you like these things, whether it's pleasing to you. Uh, if you, if it makes you want to eat it, do you, you want to Instagram it? Do you never want anyone to see what this looks like? Um, you can hear it sizzling, aromas, see if you can pick out any certain aromas or flavors when you taste it. You know, so there's different ways that we can just train ourselves to be um, attuned to those uh, or have a heightened awareness of those senses. And I find that that can be helpful for developing your intuition outside of the traditional intuitive eating framework. And when you start there, then you can go into the framework, I think, with a little bit more awareness of how you can actually apply it to your life. Yeah, I love I love the idea of sort of, you're almost describing like the work that you do in advance. And then I would say, as I was developing ways of eating that felt really good to me and felt really nourishing, a lot of that was about paying attention, or you said like an awareness of how I felt after I had eaten the thing, which again is sort of the slowing down and being present and not rushing to the next thing. Because oftentimes the things that are supposed to be good for us, I'm using air quotes if, if people can't see me, but um, the things that are supposed to be good for us can be really harsh on some people's system, right? So my newest discovery in nutrition, and it's like such a gift in my life is I started reading about Ayurvedic medicine and really started to dive deep into doshas and sort of how different body types are structured. And one of the overall things that I had read about my type was that raw fruits and vegetables, which I basically live on, are really harsh for my system. And I know this sounds nuts, or maybe it doesn't, maybe you hear this all the time as a nutritionist, but I literally read it and I was like, oh, is this not supposed to be how I, I'm not supposed to feel this way. It's not supposed to make me a little sick to my stomach and I'm not supposed to be bloated and I'm not supposed to have this reaction because I'm eating things that are really healthy. And so it was the simplest fix in the world. It just said, like, lightly cook your green vegetables or lightly cook whatever before you eat them. It's legitimately changing my life. Like I, it's so wild and I live for this stuff. So I'm in this world all the time. So to find the simplest hack that made me feel so much better is such a gift. But simultaneously, I lived that way for years and never questioned how that thing was making my body feel because it's healthy. So this idea of sort of slowing down and becoming aware is so key. And I really 
I just, I feel like we need to reiterate that for listeners that it's, um, it's not a fast process. I'm 38. I just figured that piece of information out. Right. So when someone's starting work with you and they're trying to navigate through all of these changes, do, does there also sort of come, or does it also sort of bring an emotional component to it? Because I know that when it comes to nutrition, a lot of women have triggers around this idea. So what do you find with your clients as they sort of embark on this journey that helps them with the emotional piece? Yeah, there is definitely an emotional aspect to all of this. I find I find that that's a huge thing that's missing from the conversation around, um, you know, changing your diet is that there is an emotional aspect and we have emotional attachments to food. How do you help people to navigate that if it does feel emotional for them to be on this journey? And I honestly think that this way of eating is one of the most graceful and it sort of removes those rules and those all the harshness of what mm. we were taught about diet culture. I feel like intuitive eating kind of releases, but is there advice that you have for people who they know that they need to make change, but it feels like an emotional trigger for them? Yeah, it's really important, I think, to be curious and non-judgmental about these emotions that are coming up. So really just asking, it's, it's very hard to do it. I'm not saying it's a super easy thing to kind of detach yourself from the emotions, but getting curious, like why, why is that coming up for me? Why do I feel this way? And what's underneath all that? Why do I feel like when I step on the scale, what does that number even mean? Why, why am I attaching a certain feeling or a certain sense of worth to that number? What does that even mean? Where does that come from? Where did I learn that? And once you start kind of asking those questions, you realize it all kind of means nothing. You're like, where did I, why did I learn that? I learned that from a very irreputable source. It doesn't make any sense. I do find that it is important to just neutrally ask questions. I like to look at things very neutrally. I find that also, you know, this, you know, the, the sense that you have to be positive about everything. I find that kind of harmful because it can be really difficult. And especially if you are trying to go from a place of self hatred to just loving yourself and showing off your body on Instagram, whatever, it's very hard to make that leap. And it's very much not realistic. So yeah. I do try to just bring it to a place of neutrality where it's, you know, you're not placing judgment on anything. Nothing means anything. It's not good or bad. It's just, oh, that's interesting. Let's think about that. Yes. Why? Ask why behind all of it. So I find that when emotions come up and it can be really stressful for clients, just kind of stepping back and looking at it objectively can be really helpful. Yeah. I, I was smiling when you said the word curious, and I'm guaranteeing that my podcast producer is also doing that as well, because our theme for the month of October is curiosity. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and we sort of, I felt guided to choose that word. And then it's so wild or not wild at all that every single podcast guest I have right now will find, they'll just bring it up. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. Uh, because I think that there's something so beautiful about the word curious. Uh, when we talk about the idea of change or making change or those, that, that word can feel very triggering to people. It can carry a lot of baggage, but curious feels light. It feels like, oh, I'm just going to explore and kind of see what works for me. And I think that when it comes to our nutrition and it comes to paying attention to how things are making us feel, that's really key, especially as women. And that is honestly how I first discovered you. 
I understand now what's going on because I've, you know, done all the tests and blood work and talked to doctors and which is I have estrogen dominance. And I didn't know that for a very long time. Uh, All I knew was that my cycle felt whacked. Like I will go through, I'm the most joyful, happy, like living life. And then there's just a handful of days during the month where I, uh, I could just murder you in cold blood. Like you just look at me wrong and you know, it's so hard and I have four kids and I have a company to run and it's the worst when I feel like I cannot control my hormones and I can't control my emotions. And I had tried a bit of everything and finally found a, a doctor who specializes in functional medicine, who's really helping that with the way I'm eating and herbs and all the whole deal. But I was Googling. That's how I found you. I was curious. I was like, there has to be information. Someone has to be talking about cycles and hormones and how we should be eating in a way that can help balance those things. So we talked to us a little bit about that because my, my curiosity led me to you and now this conversation. Yeah. So I do a lot with, um, cycle health, obviously. So I mentioned a menstrual health educator. So I'm I'm talking about periods all the time. (laughs) So when it comes to eating for your period, I think, or for your cycle in general, I think it's helpful to know how the cycle works. Um, would it be okay if I started with that? Absolutely. Yes. Give us all the info. All right. Cause this, this is hopefully going to blow everyone's minds because we are not taught about our cycles I and mean, that could be, no. we could talk about yes, that too. You're so right. Why? Yeah. But we aren't taught so about wild. this stuff. And I have, I have clients. I, I mean, I learned this myself, like around like five or so years ago, uh, I have clients that didn't learn this stuff until their thirties. My mother, she was like, I wish I knew this stuff. (laughs) You know, people go their whole lives without knowing how their cycle works and how it impacts so many different parts of the body. I mean, it's considered now a fifth vital sign. And I mean, your vital signs are very important, right? Yeah. (laughs) So it really gives you a look into your overall health. It gives you clues as to what's going on. So there are four phases of the menstrual cycle and there is, so we start off with the follicular phase and this is the first, this is right after your period. And so what happens in this phase is that the, there's a part of your brain that signals to your glands to release the follicle stimulating hormone. So that's why it's called the follicular phase. And follicles are what are um, on the ovaries that contain immature eggs. So it signals to your body to start preparing and maturing an egg towards ovulation. So in the body, estrogen is rising. This causes your energy to rise as well. So you're going on, you're going up the roller coaster. So it's a gradual increase. So you'll start to notice like right after a period, you know, you don't have a ton of energy, but going towards ovulation you feel amazing, right? You have a lot of extra energy. So it's sort of the growth phase. That's what's happening in the body then. Then at ovulation, what happens is that you, so there's a hormone called luteinizing hormone, and that is what stimulates ovulation to happen. And when you ovulate, that phase is like, I look at it as like the goddess phase. You're feeling amazing. You're at the top of your game you are energetic, you're super social, you're motivated, you're productive. It's like everything you want to be. (laughs) So I love this phase. This is the best phase. This is a great time for, you know, social stuff and um, you're better at communicating at that time. And this is when estrogen is peaking. So that's why you have all that amazing energy. 
And then from there is when you go back down the roller coaster. And it's not exactly like you're not, it's not you like screaming down the roller coaster, hopefully. For some people it can be, and that's where the imbalances come in. But the, so this phase, the third phase after ovulation is the luteal phase. And so what happens there is after the egg is released from the follicle, it starts to produce more hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So what has been happening up until now is that the estrogen has been helping build up the lining of the uterus. So now it's, it's kind of hoping, like hoping for pregnancy. So the, the main hormone in this half is progesterone. So you think pro-gestation, it's the pregnancy hormone. So it's there in case you get pregnant. And then what happens when you don't get pregnant is that they realize, or your body realizes, okay, it's not happening this time around, time to shed. (laughs) So while the follicular phase is sort of the growth phase, the luteal phase is the shedding phase when it starts to release. So progesterone starts to decline. And this is where PMS symptoms can pop up if you are dealing with an imbalance. So PMS symptoms are not normal. That's huge news to people I find. (laughs) So with your cycle, a healthy cycle, you should not have anything more than mild cramping. PMS, it is very, very common, but that doesn't mean it's a normal thing that's supposed to be happening. So this is where it can pop up if things are imbalanced. And then also in this phase, your energy, your estrogen's declining, your energy is declining, and it's your body sort of getting ready for a more internal moment. And then at menstruation, that's when the shedding happens. That's when hormones are at their lowest. So your energy is pretty low. It's that it is the most intuitive time. So this is a great time to be practicing or or to be flexing that intuitive muscle and practicing the things that we talked about earlier. I mean, you know, what happens during your period, so I won't go through all that, but (laughs) you know, it is that this is the general flow of how the cycle works. And then we start all over again for a new one. Do you have any questions about that? No, I love, <laughs> I love this. And I love that you brought this up because I actually have talked about this so much with my girlfriends and honestly with my boyfriend, how crazy it is that at, at least in the way I grew up, the way my friends grew up, nobody explained this to us. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about not only what would happen, but what was happening in our body and what that we would need to change this sort of you know, if we were eating certain things or, you know, some things would make that worse, uh, stress would make that worse. Or even the idea that PMS is not supposed to happen is such a gift. I mean, I've been doing a lot of research and work on this idea lately that our body is constantly trying to tell us when we are out of alignment. But as a society, we are so used to feeling pain or inflammation or bloating or stress or anxiety or whatever, a million different things that we tend to treat the symptom instead of asking what's out of alignment, Mm -hmm. like what's the root cause of the thing that's going on with me. So I love this topic because it's half the world's population is experiencing this and it's not only that, but just to go just one step further, because I literally was at dinner last night with my best friends talking about this, that it's this like shameful thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's shameful in the US and other countries, it's deeply shameful. But the example that I used was like, if you were on an airplane and you had to go, like you needed a 
change your menstrual cup or you need to change your tampon. You need to do whatever. (laughs) You would like hide it. You'd like put it in your cheek, like a squirrel, like God forbid anybody should know that you have a period when everybody knows you have a period. It's, it's nuts. So I love that you're normalizing this conversation and maybe blowing people's minds today about how it's meant to be. And I really want to encourage you all listening to this to go check out Kristen's website, which we will put in show notes, because that was really what I took a deep dive down and started like unpacking the information there because you have a ton of great info on the site. Within those phases, though, I remember reading on your site that there are ways to approach nutrition based on where you are in your cycle, that's going to set your body up for more success in that area. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And just to backtrack for a second, I want to sort of reiterate that when you hear, when you listen to what I explained about how things are supposed to happen in your cycle, it's really important to kind of pause on the fact that you're not supposed to feel the same every single day. And you're not supposed to perform the same every single day. There's different phases or different gifts and challenges of each phase, but that it's okay for it to change. Um, So I just want to hold on. Wait, hold on. No, that (laughs) is really good. And I'm so glad you said that. That is really good because that is a lesson that I've had to work very hard to learn because I'm an achiever. I like to do things. I like to get things done. And I, in the past would be so hard on myself for what I now understand is was a place that I was at hormonally that I just didn't have the energy that I might've had two weeks ago. So I really love that you made us pause there because even the idea that we are not going to be the same based on where we are in our cycle is really important for women to hear really important because I think that we just beat ourselves up because we think something's wrong with us. Or I started several months ago, literally just keeping, I keep it in my phone, just like a daily note of how I'm feeling based on the day of my cycle. I know that seems so obvious maybe, but it really, it's like a life-changing gift. Like I woke up today and I was feeling, I was feeling sad and there was no, there's nothing to be sad about, but because I've struggled with anxiety in the past, if I feel a certain way, my brain will try and supply for me why I am feeling sad. (laughs) So we'll come up with a list of a hunt. And I was like, wait, I'm going to go check my, my, the tracking that I've been doing. And the last four months, every day on day seven of my cycle, I have felt a little sad. So it gives me such peace. Like, okay, sis, this is where we are today. We're just feeling a little sad and that's okay. And I did an extra, (laughs) yeah, I did an extra gratitude meditation and I grounded myself a bit and I allowed myself to feel a little sad, but giving a why, like understanding why I think is such, is so powerful for someone like me who can be really hard on herself. Yeah. We're taught so much to resist our cycles because the, our society is built for men and the male hormonal cycle. And it's, we're constantly resisting our cycles day after day. And that causes mental stress and physical stress, which, you know, pushes us further into imbalance. So what you said about writing down how you feel just one word a day, that's exactly what I tell clients to do to get started. Cause then you, like you said, exactly. You can look back on previous months and see any patterns that arise. And it's just so much more helpful for having self-compassion when it comes to this, because like days like today, when you're feeling sad or things just feel harder and you don't know why you can look at it and say, Oh, this is just how I tend to feel at this time. And I can give myself permission to feel it. And also maybe focus on something else today that my brain can be better used for, you know? Yeah. Wait, you just said the male hormone cycle. Is that 24 hours? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Freaking A. I honestly, can we just chat about that? I just took a guess because I was like, how is our society set up? Okay, so how is it different? Do you, it, they go through their own cycle? I mean, I have met some men who have been, it feels like they're on their period for sure. Um, yes. <laughs> what does it actually look like in 24 hours? So I, I look at this, the way I'd like to talk about it is solar versus lunar because people with periods, you know, function more on, or it's mirrored more towards the lunar cycle. And, you know, people who don't have periods or who are born with the male hormonal cycle function more along the lines of the solar. So I, I like to talk about it as like lunar bodies and solar bodies. So this is, I mean, they have the same fluctuation every day and they have their ups oh. and they have their downs and that's it. So like in the morning, they're, they're, energy is really high. That's like morning meetings, perfect for them later on in the day. That's when they're winding down. That's what happy hours for, you know, maybe we don't feel like going anywhere after work. We just want to plop down on the couch. No, they go to happy hour and to wind down. And cause that's their time to chill out, you know? So it's, it's little things like that. I mean, they're very big things, but they seem, um, when you kind of pick it apart like that, it seems like little things, but it's how our society is set up that everything is for that cycle. And it doesn't wow. really take into account that we have different ways of, you know, eating, living, moving, working, you know, we have different strengths in different phases. So we could talk about that as well. Just there, are, like I said, there are gifts to each phase. There are challenges to each phase. And my ideal work situation is to, you know, have people be more open about where they are in their cycle and, you know, playing into those strengths. So if you had a group of people who had cycles and you all came to a meeting, then, you know, maybe the person who is in their follicular phase, their wheels are turning, they're the one that's going to be doing the brainstorming. Maybe the person in the luteal phase who is better at more detail-oriented work and admin stuff at that time can take notes. Maybe, you know, the person who's in their menstrual phase and is feeling kind of quiet and internal, maybe they're the one that can just like run the tech for the meeting or something, you know? So there's different ways that we can play to our strengths at work and outside of work as well. But I feel like that's, that takes up the bulk of our time, but that is my dream <laughs> for people to be just more aware of what's going on in their body and to honor it instead of constantly resisting it and just submitting to the patriarchy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Which I can talk no, about forever. <laughs> right. No, I, I love this idea too, because it was in this process, which I, I'd say I'm about four or five months into really trying to understand my hormones and trying to understand my cycle. And I became aware of it because I finally started tracking and this. I know it seems insane to be 38 and just kind of barely uncovering these pieces, but um, I'm totally sink to the moon. So full moons are a big deal for me and my friends. We're very witchy and we love a full moon dinner and we love the whole thing. We got all sorts of traditions love around that. it. <laughs> and because that that is something that we do, I was very hyper aware that my cycle was really syncing up with the full moon. And I was like, well, this is crazy, which sort of led to this journey of kind of understanding what that looks like. But a big thing for me was it's exactly what you said, this idea of like, I don't know if you said it quite in this way, but almost like we're at war with our bodies, mm -hmm. you know, that I would get frustrated, like, oh, I can't believe, you know, God, if my period's happening again, like, <laughs> I'd be so frustrated, which is awful, because I'm like, no, your body is doing exactly what it's supposed to do right now. You know, this, the fact that you had the cycles, why you were able to have three babies, 
and your body is flushing out what it needs to, and it's doing exactly what it is. And there's this sort of, I don't know, like if you're in this resistance and if you're always at war with your body, it's going to affect how you feel about the entire process. And I think that the war comes because I'm wanting my body to perform in a way that maybe it can like mind over matter. I can push myself, but it feels so, so much better. And I feel like I'm so much more productive if I will allow my body what it needs. And then later I've sort of, I'm replenished and I'm renewed and I'm able to come back and kind of get into flow really easily and get all the work done and be super productive if I can just let my body kind of do what it needs to do. When you're honoring the different phases and giving yourself what you need throughout each phase, you can be so much better at the things that you want to do in the right phases, you know? Yeah. And just knowing and having that education, like we don't have that education. So we don't know these things. So we get really down on ourselves for not being able to be, you know, as productive as we were last week, or we can't do the same workout routine as we did last week, because, you know, when we have way more energy, you know, why am I so tired today? You know, it's because we don't know these things that we just, you know, we are very mean to ourselves about it. Can we talk about hormones in like putting hormones into your body? Because I this is more information than you wanted to know about me, but I went through a divorce last year and uh, for a very long time, I didn't need any sort of birth control because my husband, my ex-husband had a vasectomy. So I was golden. And then I found myself single and dating someone new. And I was like, "Uh Oh, better get on birth control again. And I now understand estrogen and the play that it had there, but I didn't at the time. And so I tried birth control pills. And I felt like I was, I I went crazy. Like I just, it was bonkers, bananas. I managed to stay on it for three weeks. And then I was like, I, nope, this is nuts. I can't do this. And the more that I've talked about this, the more women are like, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I feel all the time. That's what it is. And I was having a call with my doctor actually yesterday and we were talking about birth control. And she said, you know, when you were on birth control, when you were younger, did, did it not affect you then? And I was like, oh, no, no, it definitely made me feel insane. But I just thought that was my lot in life. Like, I just thought yes. that's what I had to do. And she's like, oh, wow, that she's like, it makes me sad. I mean, that's a lot of people's stories, but that you felt like you didn't have sort of autonomy or control over that, or that you thought it was normal. If your body reacted in such a way that you thought it was normal to kind of just keep on keeping on. So the more I talked about about this, the more women, the more friends, more people in my community who are like, yes, it's terrible. So what are your thoughts on, you know, like you just gave us this huge gift and said, Hey, PMS is not supposed to be making you feel as bad as it does. And if it, and if it is, there's your, maybe something's out of alignment. So when it comes to birth control or contraceptives, or do you have sort of any ways that you guide people into what would feel normal? What would not? and kind of how to take that on. Well, I'm so medications are not my area of expertise, but I will say this is girlfriends just chatting. (laughs) Well, so I do say like when people come to me and are asking about birth control, I ask them, you know, what are your symptoms beforehand? The birth control pill is not going to fix that. It's going to temporarily suspend those symptoms. Symptoms because what the birth control pill does is it shuts off the communication between your brain and your ovaries. And so 
whatever symptoms that you had beforehand are going to come back after the birth control pill. And you're saying that the pill gave you more symptoms. So that's another thing to consider is that, you know, you could have potential side effects and, you know, there aren't a whole lot of options that are good for us. <laughs> you know, there, it's just, that's just the reality. Some, for some people, the pill is the perfect option. And, you know, there are people, there are a lot of people that come to me expressing interest in coming off. And so what I like to talk about there is the fertility awareness method. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. Okay. So this is a method of natural family planning and birth control. And I would definitely make sure that you read a book about it, you know, really learn about it before you do it. We don't want any accidental babies if you're not trying to do that. Right. Um, but there's a book I would recommend. It's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And it it's like the Bible of this method. So it is not like the rhythm method. So the, actually this method, when done properly, is just as effective as the birth control pill. So what you're doing is you're tracking your observable fertile signs, and that's your basal body temperature. So your temperature, the first thing uh, when you wake up in the morning, and then your cervical fluid. So what you may know as discharge, something that you may have grown up thinking was not normal. It is 100% normal. Uh, So those are two things that you're really paying attention to. And so the temperature, if you are not on birth control, um, if you are, you know, having natural cycles, Uh, What you'll learn there is that pre, you'll see, as you start to track this every day, you'll see pre-ovulation, your temperatures are about 97.7 and lower and, or degrees and lower. And then after ovulation, there's a clear shift. So you'll start to see, you know, you're going this way and then all of a sudden it goes up. So it's like 98 or so or over that tells you that ovulation has happened And that can confirm for you if you are either trying to conceive or trying to avoid pregnancy, that's really helpful. But then the second thing is monitoring your cervical. So there's a couple different terms for it, discharge, cervical mucus, cervical fluid, whatever you want to call it. And that changes, that signals that ovulation is oncoming. And so that's when you start to see either um, like a creamy consistency, either on toilet paper in your underwear. So that's how people tend to check or it starts to get more like egg white. That's more fertile. Um, the, the more watery it is, the more fertile you are. So that's telling you you're like getting up to ovulation. That's a sign that you need to either abstain or use protection. Um, so that's really important to know. Also, you know, if you are trying to achieve pregnancy, that's the time to get down to business. (laughs) Um, But this is like, we don't learn this stuff. So we just think, oh my God, there's things changing in my underwear. What is that? Something's wrong with me, but it is a perfectly normal aspect of your cycle. And so these are the two things that you're looking for. So this is what I recommend when people are thinking about going off birth control, but they are nervous about not conceiving or trying to plan a family. So, you know, it's definitely more complex than what I can explain on the podcast, but that's the basics of it as you're looking for those two signs. And even if you are not fully following it, following it yet, I recommend starting with that. So over time you have some data to work with once you know what the hell you're looking at, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, I feel like I could talk to you. We're going to have to have you back because I feel like I could talk to you about this stuff for hours and I want to, (laughs) but I know that people who are listening are going to want more information because I know my girls, they're going to want to like absorb all this stuff. So 
Will you tell them, Kristen, where they can find you on Instagram, where they can listen to your podcast, like give all the juicy details so they can, they can learn more. Yes. So my website is goodwitchkitchen.net. Um, my Instagram is goodwitchkitchen. And I have also a course on all this stuff. It's called Cycle Magic. And that's on my website as well. And then my podcast is The Lunar Body. Love it. Thank you so much for the time and the wisdom and sort of jump in all over the place with me. I really feel like there's all of this like sort of sacred information that should have been ours from birth and that we've been separated from. So I'm constantly trying to seek out people who are practicing in these ways so that we can make this conversation, which is very necessary, a bigger one. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. The Rachel Hollis podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. 